Chapter Twenty of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter Twenty. Accustomed as they were to complications, it may be safely affirmed that neither the bargeman nor Jewel expected this one. Captain Antifer, the hardened bachelor, to be thus left at the foot of the wall, and what wall? The wall of marriage, which he was obliged to cross unless he was prepared to lose his share in the enormous legacy. Jewel begged his uncle to give them the details of what had occurred, and he told the story amid broadsides of explosive exclamations, which unfortunately could not reach Zambuco, under shelter of his house in the Maltese Quarter. Here was his old boy of forty-six to be married to a girl of forty-seven, and become a species of Oriental, a sort of Antifer Pasha. Tregomaine and Jewel were absolutely dumbfounded and looked at each other in silence. But the same thought, doubtless, occurred to both. Away with the millions, said the bargeman to himself. Away with the obstacle to my marriage with Enogate, said Jewel to himself. That Captain Antifer would agree to Zambuco's demands, that he would consent to become the banker's brother-in-law, was quite inadmissible. He would never submit to this absurdity, even for a million millions. Nevertheless, Antifer strode backwards and forwards from one end of the room to the other. Then he stopped, sat down, looked at his nephew and his friend in the face, and then turned his eyes away. It was painful to see him, and if ever Tregmaine thought he was going out of his mind, it was then. He and Jewel tacitly resolved to do nothing to irritate him, whatever he might say. At length he spoke, furiously and jerkily. Four millions! lost by this rascal's obstinacy. He deserves to be guillotined, hanged, shot, stabbed, poisoned, impaled, all at the same time. He refuses to give me his latitude if I don't marry. Marry this monkey-faced Maltese. Would you see me the husband of this talisma? Certainly not. His friends would not see him, and the introduction of such a sister-in-law and aunt into the bosom of the honorable family of Antifer would be one of the most unlikely events anyone could imagine. Tell me, bargeman, my friend, has anyone the right to leave four millions hidden in a hole when he's only to take one step to pick them out? I'm not prepared to answer that question, replied Tregomain evasively. Ah, you are not prepared, shouted Antifer, throwing his hat into a corner. Well, are you prepared to answer this one? What? If an individual loads a boat, Say a barge. A Charmante Emilie, if you will. Tregermaine felt that the Charmante Emilie was going to have a bad time of it. If he loads that old carcass with four millions in gold, and if he publicly announces that he's going to scull her in the open sea, so as to sink those millions, you think the government will let him do so? Come now, speak. I do not think so. Yet that is what this master Zambuco has got into his head. He has but to say one word to save his millions and mine and he's obstinately silent. Never heard of a more abominable rascal, said Tregomaine in a tone of anger. Look here. Jewel? Uncle? If we report him to the authorities, we might do that as a last resource. Yes, for the authorities can do what a private individual cannot do. They might torture him, put him on the rack, roast his feet at the fire, and that would bring him to reason. That is not a bad idea, Uncle. Excellent, Jewel, and to pay this fellow out, I would give up my share and hand it over to the public. 
That, said the bargeman, would be fine, noble, generous, worthy of a Frenchman, worthy of a real Antifer. In making the proposal, Joel's uncle had probably gone further than he intended, for he gave Tregeman such a terrible look that the bargeman stopped short in his outburst of admiration. Four millions, four millions, repeated Captain Antifer. I will kill this Zambuco. Uncle! My friend! And really in his state of exasperation, it was to be feared that Antifred would attempt some unfortunate violence, for which he would not be responsible, owing to the attack of mental alienation. But when Tregemain and Jewel tried to calm him, he repulsed them fiercely, accusing them of conspiring with his enemies of helping Zimbuko, of not wishing to smash him like a sneak of a steward. Leave me alone, he growled. Leave me alone. And picking up his hat, he jerked open the door and rushed out of the room. The others, thinking he was off to the bankers, ran after him to prevent a disaster, but were much relieved to see him hurrying up the grand staircase to his bedroom, where he locked himself in. That is the best thing he could do, said Tregemaine, nodding his head. Yes, poor uncle, replied Jewel. After such a scene, they had very little appetite for dinner. When it was over, they left the hotel to breathe a little fresh air on the banks of the Bahira. As they went out, they met Ben Omar accompanied by Nazim. Was there any objection to their telling the notary what had happened? Certainly not. When he heard of the conditions the banker required, Ben Omar's remark was, He ought to marry Miss Zambugo. He has no right to refuse. No, he has no right to. This was also the opinion of Saouk, who would not have hesitated to contract any marriage whatever if the marriage would bring him such a dowry. Tregamine and Jewel turned their backs on them and went down the nearest street. A fine evening with a fresh sea breeze had brought the people of Tunis out to take the air. Jewel and his companions walked toward the wall, went through the gate and along the lake for a hundred yards or so, and sat down at a table at the Café Wina, where they discussed the flask of Manuba and talked matters over. Nothing could be simpler as far as they were concerned. Captain Antifer would never consent to Zambuco's terms. Consequently, he would have to give up all thoughts of discovering Island Number 2. Consequently, they would leave Tunis by the next mail steamer. Consequently, immense satisfaction at returning to France by the shortest road. This was evidently the only possible solution. They would be none the worse for returning to St. Malo without Kamalik Pasha's big bag. Then what was the good of His Excellency's ingenuities? About nine o'clock, Tregemaine and Jewel returned to the hotel. As they went to their rooms, they stopped for a moment before Antifer's room. He was not asleep. He had not even gone to bed. He was walking about talking to himself and could be heard gasping, Millions! 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 Triggerman made a sign to show that he must have gone wrong in his head, and then wishing one another good night, they separated, very uneasy. In the morning, they were up early. It was only their duty to go and see how Antifer was, to ask him what he intended to do. Surely he can only intend to pack his portmanteau and clear out from Tunis. Jewel had ascertained that the steamer which had put in at La Goulet was going to start that evening from Marseille. What would Jewel have given to have had his uncle safe on board, shut up in his cabin, and twenty miles away from the African coast? He and Tregamine went along the passage to Antifer's room. They knocked at the door. There was no reply. Jewel knocked more loudly. The same silence. Was his uncle sleeping the sleep of a sailor, whom not even the reports of twenty-four pounders can awaken? Or rather, had he in a moment of despair 
Jewel ran downstairs to the porter's lodge four steps at a time. Triggerman clung to the rail to save himself from rolling to the bottom. Captain Antifer? He went out early, replied the porter to Jewel's question. And he did not say where he was going? He did not. Has he got to that scoundrel Zambuco? asked Jewel, dragging Tregamine out. But if he has, it's because he consents, murmured the bargeman, raising his hands to the sky. It is not possible, said Jewel. No, it is not possible. Fancy him returning to St. Malo, to his house in the Rue de Hossales, with Talisma Zambuco on his arm, bringing little Enigate, a Maltese aunt. A monkey, as my uncle called her. And as anxious as they could be, they sat down at the cafe facing the hotel, looking watch for his return. It is said that the night brings counsel, and it is not said that the counsel is necessarily good. It was only too true that Antifer had gone out very early in the morning, hurried to the Maltese quarter, and reached the banker's house as quickly as if he had a pack of hounds at his heels. Zambuco was accustomed to rise with the sun, and go to bed when it set. Consequently, he was in his armchair, with the table in front of him and the safe behind him, when Antifer was introduced to his presence. Good morning, he said, adjusting his spectacles, so as to get his visitor well in the middle of the glasses. Is that your last word? asked Antifer, by way of beginning the interview. My last. You refuse to give me Kamalik Pasha's letter unless I marry your sister. I refuse. Then I will marry her. I knew that. A woman who brings you two millions is a dowry. Why, a Rothschild's son would be only too happy to become the husband of Talisma. Well, I shall only be too happy, said Antifer, with a grimace he took no pains to hide. Come then, brother-in-law, said Zambuco, and he rose as if he were going to fetch her. Is she here? asked Antifer. His face was like that of a condemned man on the morning of his execution, when the jailer says to him, Now then, courage, please. Today's the day. Calm your impatience, replied the banker. Do you forget that Talisma is at Malta? Where are we going, then? asked Antifer, with a sigh of relief. To the telegraph office. So as to send her news. Yes, and to receive her reply. Send her the news if you like, but I may as well tell you that I have no intention of awaiting my intended at Tunis. And why not? Because you and I have no time to lose. The first thing for us to do is to go in search of the island, when we know where it is. What does it matter whether we are a week early or late? But it does matter, and you ought to be quite as eager as I am to enter into possession of Kamalik Pasha's legacy. Yes, quite as eager, for the banker, avaricious and rapacious, although he tried to hide his impatience under affected indifference, was burning with desire to get hold of his share of the millions. Be it so, he said, I agree with you. I will not send for my sister until I return, but I must let her know the happiness which awaits her. Yes, which awaits her, replied Antifer, without thinking of the kind of happiness that was reserved for her who had waited so many years for the husband of her dreams. Only, continued Zambuco, we must have a regular engagement. Write it out, and I will sign it. With a forfeit of non-completion? Agreed. How much the forfeit? Let us say the two millions which will be your share. All right, be quick about it, replied Antifer, resigned to becoming Talisma's husband, as he could not escape that happiness. The banker took out a sheet of white paper, and in his large handwriting drew out a contract to marry in all due form. It was stipulated that the share received by Captain Antifer as legatee of Kamalik Pasha should be handed over, in its entirety, 
to Talisma Zambuco in the event of his refusing to marry her within a fortnight of the discovery of the treasure. And with a furious flourish, Annifer signed this contract, which the beggar placed in one of the drawers of his safe. At the same time, he took out a faded yellow paper, the letter he had received from Kamalik twenty years before. Annifer had taken out of his pocketbook another paper quite as faded and yellow. This was the document found on island number one. What a scene for a painter! The two legatees looking at each other, like duelists about to cross swords. Their arms stretch out just a little, their fingers trembling at the contact of these papers they turn, to hand over with regret. Your letter, said Antifer. Your document, said Zambuco. The exchange was made. It was time. The two men's hearts were beating so violently that they had nearly broken. The document indicating that it was to be taken by a certain Antifer of St. Malo to a certain Zambuco of Tunis bore the longitude of seven degrees, twenty-three minutes east. The letter announcing that the said Zambuco of Tunis would one day receive a visit from the said Antifer of St. Malo bore a latitude of three degrees, seventeen minutes south. All that was wanted was to cross these two lines on a map to discover the position of island number two. You have doubtless an atlas, asked the banker. An atlas and a nephew, replied Antifer. A nephew? Yes, a sea captain, who will take charge of this matter for us. Where is this nephew? At the Hotel de France. Come along then, brother-in-law, said Zambuco, putting on a broad-brimmed hat. Come along, said Antifer. Off they went to the hotel. As they passed the post office, Zambuco said he would go in and send a telegram to Malta. Antifer made no objection. The least he could do was to let the lady know that her hand had been solicited by an officer of the French Marine and with her brother's consent, under most acceptable conditions as to a fortune and family. The telegram having been paid for, the two legatees came out into the street, when Tregermain and Jewel caught sight of them, and hurried to meet them. When he noticed them, Antifer's first movement was to turn away his head. But mastering this inopportune weakness, he introduced his companion in an imperious voice. The Banker Zambuco The banker gave his future brother-in-law's companions anything but an agreeable look. Then Antifer added, Jewel, my nephew, Tregamine, my friend. Then, at a sign, they all moved toward the hotel, avoiding as they passed Ben Omar and Nazim, but he did not seem to know, mounted the stairs, and entered Antifer's room and locked the door. Antifer took out of his bag the atlas he had brought from St. Malo. He opened it at the map of the world, and handing it to Jewel, said, Seven degrees, twenty-three minutes east and three degrees, seventeen minutes south. Jewel could not help a gesture of annoyance. Latitude south? Kimberly Pasha was going to send them across the line? Ah, his poor little Enogate. Trigamain hardly dared to look at him. Well, what are you waiting for? asked his uncle, in a tone which the young captain could only obey. He took the compasses, and following the seventh meridian, with the twenty-three minutes added on, he ran down to the equator. Running along the parallel three degrees to seventeen minutes, he stopped where it intersected the meridian. Well, said Antifer, whereabouts are we? In the Gulf of Guinea. And more exactly? In Mayumba Bay. Tomorrow morning, said Antifer, we will take the diligence for Bone, and at Bone we will take the train to Oran. This was said in the tone of a man-of-war captain, ordering to beat to quarters when the enemy is in sight. Turning to the banker, he said, you will accompany us, of course? Of course. 
to the Gulf of Guinea, to the end of the world if necessary. Well, be ready to start. I shall be ready, brother-in-law. Trigger uttered an involuntary ah at this qualification, so new to his ears. He was so astounded that he was unable to reply to the ironical salute with which the banker honored him as he retired. When the three were alone, And so you have consented? said Tregamine. Yes, bargeman. What then? What then? No one could say anything, and that was why Tregamine and Jewel thought it best to keep silent. Two hours later, the banker received a telegram from Malta. Talisma Zambuco informed him that she was the happiest of sisters, and expected to be the happiest of wives. End of chapter 20